Welcome to the 20 Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam, and while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bible to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 10. Well, with 20 minutes on the timer, we'll pick up where we left off last time. Saul was a man from the tribe of Benjamin, and he describes himself as from the least important family from the least important tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's basically like saying Samuel came to make somebody president of the United States and that person says, I'm from the least important family, from the least important city, from the least important county, in the least important state in the union. He's saying, I'm, I'm not somebody you'd want to make king. But that was who God told Samuel to pick said, anoint Saul to be king. So he did. And in chapter 10, verse 1, I know we we read over this, but it it sets up the stage uh, for where we're going this week. So then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head and kissed him, saying, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zilzah, on the border of Benjamin, and they will say to you, the donkeys you sent out to look for have been found, and your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. And he is asking, what shall I do about my son? And then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal, I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. So he met the guys with bread and wine and he, the prophets and all of that. When he as a servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him and the spirit of God came powerfully upon him and he joined in their prophesying. And when all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they said to each other, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? So they're seeing the change that happened, not because of Saul, but because of God's work in Saul's life. I remember uh, several years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he was telling me about, you know, the, kind of his wild and crazy ways in his, in his youth. And I said, Your children will never believe you when you tell them. He said, what do you mean? And I said, your children will not believe that the man that they know is the same person that you are describing. In fact, I have a hard time believing it. The only reason I know it to be true, first of all, is that you're telling me and I know you to be truthful, but also that I have seen the way that God changes people's lives. I have another friend, I think I've told this story before, but I have another friend who is a preacher and his daughter you know, grew up, got out of youth group, and she started coming to the main service all the time. And then she hears him telling stories of before he was a Christian, and she is just 
horrified because she has no idea how bad a guy her dad was and before he met Jesus. But Jesus came and changed his life turned things around. And just like Saul became a different person, so did my other friends who met Jesus and Jesus changed their life. So people are looking going, hey, what's going on with Saul? He's among the prophets now. When Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, where have you been? Because remember, Saul had been sent out by his father several days before to go look for some lost livestock. They hadn't found it, but they had met the prophet Samuel. Samuel anoints Saul king and says, go home. Your father's more worried about you than about the livestock. Looking for the donkeys, he said, but when we saw that they were not found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul replied, he assured me that the donkeys had been found. But he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. Samuel summoned the people of the Israel to, uh, to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord says, the God of Israel. I brought Israel up out of Egypt. I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamity. And you have said, No, appoint a king over us. So now, present yourselves to the Lord by number and tribes and clans. So this is, uh, this is God's way of saying, look, I did not want for you to have a king. I have constantly saved you. I have protected you. But you asked for a king, so fine. I want you to gather together here at Mizpah and organize yourselves in an orderly fashion. Verse 20, when Samuel heard... Or sorry, when Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. So basically what they did is the idea is they're going to sort out who the king is. And so they have 12 lots, each one marked for a different tribe. They draw straws. Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, their lot comes up. Then, uh, verse uh, 21, then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, they not, he was not found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. So God has told Saul already, you're going to be the king. And he's been anointed by Samuel. He's been confirmed. But then they do this whole process of selecting the king. And he's hiding. He doesn't, he's hiding. And so God rats him out. I mean, you know what I mean. But God tells the people, hey, this is where he is. He's hiding among the supplies. So they ran out, verse 23, and they brought him. And he stood among the people, and he was a head taller than any of the others. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There was no one like him among all the people. And the people shouted, long live the king. Samuel explained to the people the rights and the duties of the kingship, and he wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. So Saul went to his own home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some scoundrels said, How can this fellow save us? And they despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. So what happens is the people collectively say, We want a king. And then when God gives them a king, there's some people who say, who's this guy? I'm not going to follow him. You can kind of guess, it's not unreasonable to assume that maybe they had a different person picked out to be the king. Maybe it was them. Certainly wasn't somebody from Benjamin. And you, you can think through this, where it's like, what do you want? 
I want God to do something. And then he does something. And we say, oh, I don't want that. Did, did you really want God to do something? Or did you want God to do your thing? Two different things. So they despised him, brought no gifts, but Saul kept silent, which is wisdom. It's interesting. God had already anointed him king. God had already confirmed through these miraculous signs, like, hey, you're going to go, and there'll be these guys with loaves, and, and the, you know, they're going to give you some bread. Okay, cool. I like bread. I'll take that. And you're going to go, and you'll prophesy. He's already confirmed it to Saul, and Saul's not taking it. He's hanging back. Saul could have said, what are you doing? Why aren't you giving me the due? You all agreed. The people gathered together at Mizpah. Saul, uh, Samuel told the people, this is what's going to happen if you have a king. And part of that is taxes, these tributes that are being talked about here. Everybody agreed to that. And then when God selects Saul to be the king, you don't want to do it anymore. But he keeps silent. Chapter 11, verse 1. Nashah the Amorite went up and besieged Jabesh Gibeah, and all the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treaty with us, and we will be subject to you. But Nahash the Amorite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you, and so bring disgrace on all Israel. And the elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days so we can send messengers through Israel, and if nobody comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. So he's like, Yeah, sure. Because Israel, for hundreds of years at this point, has not been a cohesive nation. The book of the Judges takes place after you got Moses. That's the book of Exodus. We studied that when we started this podcast. Then there's Joshua. Joshua was the successor leader to Moses. And he brought the people into the land of Israel. And then there's the Judges. And after Joshua, there were these series and succession of Judges. And they would sort of make decisions. Uh, if there was disagreements, they would arbitrate them. And if there was ne defense needed, they would raise up defense. But Israel, for that several hundred year period of the judges, never was a cohesive nation. One group would get attacked and the other tribes would say, yeah, you guys figure it out. Another group would have problems and the other tribes would say, that's your deal. And they didn't care one for the other. They didn't care. Israel, Israel was, was no nation to speak of. It was just this group of loosely connected tribes of the same ethnic group, same religion, kind of. And so this is the, the, the people of Jabesh are saying, all right, we'll go and call out the rest of our nation. And if anybody comes to our aid, then we'll fight. But if not, yeah, we'll all gouge out our right eyes. So it's better that we all gouge out our right eyes so that we live. So they do this thing, and Gibeah's, uh, sorry, uh, Nahash, the Amorite's probably thinking it's a sweet deal. No one, no one living remembers a time when Israel has come to the defense of another part of Israel. Verse 4, when the messengers came to Gibeah, messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported the terms to the people, they all wept out loud. And just then Saul was returning from the field behind his oxen and asked, what is wrong with everyone? Why are they weeping? And they, when they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said, and when Saul heard the words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger. And he took a pair of oxen, and he cut them into pieces, and he set the pieces by messenger throughout Israel, proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. And then the terror of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out together as one. And when Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000, and those of Judah... 30,000. And they told the messengers who had come, say to the men of Jabesh Gibeah, by the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be rescued. 
When the messengers reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated, and they said to the Ammonites, Tomorrow we will surrender to you, and you can do to us whatever you like. Because maybe, maybe the people aren't going to come. They say they're coming, but you know, it's been 400 years. We'll see. The next day, Saul separated his men into three divisions, and during the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. And then the people of, said to Samuel, Who was it that asked, Shall Saul reign over us? Turn these men over to us so that we may put them to death. Okay, so what that's going on there is, for the first time in hundreds of years, They've defeated their enemies collectively as a nation. And Saul's looking like a pretty good leader. He's, he's for the people. He's of the people. He's doing the work of the people. He's protecting the people. This is the kind of king you want. And so they say, hey, who was it that said we don't want Saul? Let's get rid of those guys. Saul's awesome. Now, they weren't saying that, you know, a few weeks earlier, but they're saying it now. And Saul said, no one will be put to death today, for this is the day that the Lord has rescued Israel. And then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. And there they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord. And Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. So this is sort of a reconciliation. There's a healing that's happening. And it's beautiful that Saul is held back because this healing needed to happen. There was mistrust. There was centuries of bad blood. And instead of claiming what was right, Paul let the, uh, Saul excuse me, let the healing happen. He gave space for it. In the church, there is a lot of mistrust. It's one of the reasons I don't talk a lot about giving or money because how many churches squeeze people for money? They squeeze people for it. Somebody sent me a video this last week, and it was from a very well-known nationally, internationally, I would say, known church, and it was their service last Sunday, and uh, I clicked on it because there was something they said I should see, and so I'm scrolling through, and man, the emphasis on, on giving was insane, and I get why people don't trust it. People don't trust institutional authority. So I get why somebody's saying, uh, you're a pastor, I don't trust you. I totally get it. And I think one of the things that as a church we're, we're doing is allowing healing to happen so that people can kind of make their way back into the community of faith. Because there have been toxic churches. There have been spiritually, and not just spiritually, but emotionally, physically, sexually abusive leaders in the church. And so we're helping people make their way back in. And, and at first, it's just God doing the work in Samuel and Saul. And then it's Samuel and Saul and a few prophets and a few others. And then it's most of the people, but there's still people that have healing needed. And, and then it gets to these people. And I trust God's going to do his work. I trust that God's going to do his work. And then verse 1, chapter 12, Samuel said to all of Israel, I have listened to everything you have said to me, and I have set a king over you. Now you have as a king for a leader... As for me, I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand, testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose oxen have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. 
So the reason that, that Samuel is specifying this is because his predecessor, Eli, and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had done all that stuff. They had cheated. They had taken bribes. They had been wicked men. They had robbed. Samuel hadn't. He had not lived in the sin of his predecessors. But he's also saying, if I've done it, let me know so I can make it right. Because there's sins of omission and there's sins of commission. Sins of commission means, hey, uh, I know I'm doing something bad here. A sin of omission means, you know what? I didn't know I was doing something wrong, but let me fix it. Samuel's saying, I know I have not committed any sins, but maybe I've omitted to do something. Maybe I've done something to wrong you and I haven't realized it. Let me make it right. There's humility in that. I could sit there and say, the church has never done anything wrong. Well, I know that's not true. But what if we've done something wrong unintentionally? How can we work to make that right? You know, when we talk about systematic racism, like nobody's saying that you per se are doing racist things, but I can recognize that maybe I've been part of a system that's perpetuated racism, perpetuated uh, injustice. How can we work to make that right? And I don't think that saying that means that I immediately have to be aligned with some kind of woke agenda. I, I think you can be uh, sort of unwoke and still know that there's systematic racism. And, and those, those are such loaded words. I don't even like to get into them too deep because it's like, what do you mean? I'd rather just have a conversation with somebody. Somebody wants to talk to me about that, I'll buy you coffee. But what he's saying is, how can I make it right if I've done something unintentionally? Verse four, you have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. And Samuel said to them, the Lord is my witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. Then Samuel said to the people, it is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors out of Egypt. Now then stand here because I am going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. So he's recounting their history. They went to Egypt. Jacob and his 12 sons, they got enslaved. God delivered them. Verse 9, but they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hands of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hazara, or Hazor, excuse me. In the hands of the Philistines, the kings of Moab, who fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroths, engaging in idolatry and sexual immorality. But now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we will serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubel, Barak, Japhethath, Jephthah, excuse me, and Samuel, who delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you, and now you live in safety. And there's many others besides. But when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now, here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord, if you rebel against his commands, his hands will be against you, as it was against your ancestors. Now then, stand still and see the great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is not the wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. 
Then Samuel called on the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain, so the people stood in awe of Samuel and the Lord. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die, for he has added to all of our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied, for I have done all of this. For you have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. For the sake of the great name of the Lord will re- for the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet, if you persist in doing evil, both you and the king, you will perish. Well, that's the end of our time today. I hope that you'll join us again next time for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study as we continue our study through the book of 1 Samuel. You can follow Faith on Hill on Instagram, at Faith on Hill. Our website's faithonhill.com. All of our podcasts are available audio forms on Spotify and Apple Music, and video is available on our Facebook page. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill Church. I look forward to joining you again for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.